Hey creeps, I'm Taylor and this is TGI Crime Day. Welcome to TGI Crime Day. Today's episode is going to be part two of the Murdoch family story. If you have not watched or listened to part one, go and do that now so that you will be all caught up. I will have that episode linked in the description box of this episode um, for audio or for the YouTube version. There will also be one final part after this episode to wrap everything up. As I got started on this case, I knew there was a lot, but I had no idea how much I was going to have to sift through to put this story together. So there is a lot to cover in this case, and there have also been new developments in the last few months. So I tried to get through it in two episodes, but as I started putting together this script, I realized that there was no way I was going to get through this in under an hour. So there will be a total of three videos about the Murdoch case going over every single article and every inch of knowledge I could find about this case. I went down the rabbit hole for part one and part two is just another rabbit hole inside of a rabbit hole. I could have done an even longer episode today about the things we're covering, but I used some restraint. (laughs) I tried to keep it on track as much as possible. Super quick recap so that it's fresh in your mind from the last episode. I went over the boating accident caused by the youngest son, Paul Murdoch. He was charged with driving while intoxicated, causing the death of Mallory Beach, and and two counts of driving a boat while intoxicated, causing great bodily injury. Paul pled not guilty. The Murdochs covered his $50,000 bond, and he was supposed to appear in court for an official trial, but that trial date was never set. The Murdoch family had generations of power in South Carolina, and there was always someone in law enforcement looking out for the Murdochs, and they had enough money and power to sneak their way out of any sticky situation they found themselves in. It looks like that tradition of Murdoch privilege would continue until everything began to unravel for Alex Murdoch. Two years after that first court date on June 7th, 2021, Paul and his mom Maggie were murdered. The person who found their bodies and called 911 was Paul's dad, Alec Murdoch. Rumors flew around town that the person responsible for the homicides was someone who was connected to the death of Mallory Beach, who had tragically lost her life in that boating accident. Everyone who was on the boat that night was looked at as a suspect, and so were their families. The narrative being pushed in the beginning was that this could have been an eye-for-an-eye situation, or a revenge killing. However, everyone involved in the boating accident was looked deeply into and cleared, and people were still keeping a very close eye on Alec Murdoch and his surviving son, Buster. It seemed like people were beginning to turn suspicion to Alec when one day, Alec made another phone call to 911 saying that he had been shot after pulling over to fix a flat tire. This incident happened on September 4th, 2021, three months after Paul and Maggie's deaths. That is where we are going to pick up today in this episode. On September 4th, 2021, Alec called 911 after he was shot on the side of the road when he was having car trouble. According to Alec, he was working on the car and a truck passed him, and then the driver turned the truck back around, drove back toward him, shot him, and then kept driving. The shot had grazed the side of his head, and he was able to call for help. He told 911, quote, I'm okay, but I can't drive. I'm bleeding a lot, end quote. The initial incident report from the police said that there were no visible injuries on Alec, but he was airlifted to a hospital, and and Alec's attorney, Jim Griffin, said that this was a mistake on the police report and that Alec's had, quote, an entry and exit wound, a skull fracture, and minor brain bleeding in two places, end quote. 
Griffin also said that Alex had lost his vision for a time because of the wound and that he was spending time indefinitely in the ICU. Uh, But two days after that statement was made, he was released. This was shocking to everyone in the community, and everyone believed that this attack was connected to the deaths of Paul and Maggie. People started to speculate that this could have been a suicide attempt, but Jim Griffin said that the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division, aka SLED, had not found a gun at the scene, and it appeared that one of Alex's tires had been slashed, so it looked like he had been targeted. Griffin said, quote, I don't think you choose to have a flat tire or stage a flat tire to commit suicide. That makes no sense. There are many things being reported that are incongruent, end quote. You're right. That doesn't that doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? After he was released from the hospital, Alec put out a statement saying that he had resigned from PMPED, which was the law firm that his family started in 1910. He seemingly left this company out of nowhere. Then he announced that he was going into rehab after battling an addiction to prescription medication for nearly two decades. His medical report showed that he did have opiates and barbiturates in his system when he was shot, and Alec put out a statement to the public saying, quote, The murders of my wife and son have caused an incredibly difficult time in my life. I have made a lot of decisions that I truly regret. I am immensely sorry to everyone that I've hurt, including my family, friends, and colleagues, end quote. He also asked the community for prayers so that he might be able to, quote, rehabilitate myself and my relationships, end quote. This resignation seemed to kind of come out of nowhere, but then the law firm put out their own statement explaining what exactly happened. The day before Alec had been shot, he was sort of forced to resign from the law firm Peters Murdoch Parker Ezelroth Dietrich, a.k.a. PMPED. PMPED had been started by his great-grandfather, Randolph Murdoch Sr., in 1910, and apparently in 2021, the law firm hired a forensic accountant to look into their accounts because there was money going where it wasn't supposed to be going. PMPED reached out to local law enforcement and the South Carolina Bar to let them know that they suspected Alec of quote-unquote misappropriating money. The firm brought this up to Alec, and they all agreed that he should resign. The PMPED statement said, quote, He is no longer associated with PMPED in any manner. His resignation came after the discovery of PMPED that Alec misappropriated funds in the violation of PMPED standards and policies, end quote. Alec's lawyer said that Alec expressed quote-unquote regret and sorrow. Well, yeah, he regrets that he got caught and he was sorrowful that he wouldn't have an easy way to steal money from a huge law firm anymore, in my opinion. An article published in the New York Times a few days after Alec's announcement said, quote, The law office did not say how much money was missing, but a member of the firm speaking on the condition of anonymity because he was not authorized to disclose company, company information said that the amount was in the millions, end quote. Alec has two brothers who also work for PMPED, John Marvin and Randy, who were willing to go to bat for him throughout this entire investigation into Maggie and Paul's murders. They did an interview on Good Morning America 10 days after the deaths, asking for public help to identify who killed their family members. John Marvin said that there was, quote, no possible way he could have had anything to do with the murders, end quote. Speaking about Alec, of course. They were, of course, both heartbroken over the loss of Maggie and Paul, and personally, I find it really sad that they thought that they had this relationship with Alec. They trusted him. They thought they knew who he was. They defended him, only to go on to find out that he was not the person they believed he was at all. On Good Morning America, Randy said, quote, My brother loved Maggie and loved Paul like nothing else on this earth, just like he loves Buster. So there's no possible way he could have had anything to do with this, I can assure you. End quote. Unfortunately, just three months later, Randy was shown evidence that Alec had been stealing money from the firm, and Randy was actually part of the confrontation with Alec where they asked him to resign. 
Randy said that Alex seemed very sorry. He seemed relieved to have this out in the open and off his chest, and he told his brother that he would never lie to him again. After Alec was shot and entered rehab, Randy said, quote, I was shocked, just as the rest of the PMPED family, to learn of my brother Alec's drug addiction and stealing of money. I love my law firm family, and I also love Alec as a brother. While I will support him in his recovery, I do not support, condone, or excuse his conduct in the stealing by manipulating his most trusted relationships, end quote. That whole promise that Alec would never lie to Randy ever again was very short-lived because, as it turns out, this shooting wasn't an attack on Alec. It was a plan that he set up all on his own. So when Alec's lawyer said that he wouldn't have planned a flat tire to stage a suicide because that would be outrageous, he was wrong. It wasn't outrageous. That's exactly what Alec did. Ten days after the shooting, a man named Curtis Edward Smith was arrested. It quickly came out that Alec had staged his own shooting as a suicide attempt. His plan was to have it look like he was murdered so that his $10 million life insurance policy would go straight to his son, Buster. This insurance policy, I think, had um, a suicide clause in there, so that's why he had to do this roundabout way and hire someone to do it for him. There are, of course, two sides to this story, Alec's side and Curtis's side. According to Alec and his attorney, Dick Harpulitan and Jim Griffin, which are the most TV detective-ready names I've ever heard, they believed that Curtis allegedly took advantage of Alec's, quote, addiction and his ability to pay substantial funds for illegal drugs, end quote. So Curtis was his drug dealer for a long time, and then supposedly he agreed to help him commit suicide in what his lawyers described as, quote, an attempt on his part to do something to protect his child. Protecting your child would be to not steal the money in the first place and not be a liar and a horrible human being. My opinion. Alec's legal team made it seem like Curtis was totally on board and knew what he was agreeing to. They also said, quote, Alec is not without fault, but he is just one of many whose life has been devastated by opioid addiction, end quote. Alec was then charged with insurance fraud, conspiracy to commit insurance fraud, and filing a false police report. He wept in court as they gave him his charges and he spoke about his quote-unquote fall from grace. Alec was slapped with a $20,000 personal recognizance bond and had to turn over his passport. Obviously, I am not a lawyer, but thanks to a quick Google and the lovely people at LanceTurnbowLaw.com, I was able to learn what a PR bond is. LanceTurnbow.com described a personal recognizance bond or PR bond as, quote, a type of bail bond that does not require the defendant to pay any money up front. Instead, the court issues an order releasing the defendant from custody on the condition that they will appear in court for all scheduled court appearances, end quote. So Alec didn't have to pay any money up front, and he went back into rehab after that initial court appearance. Curtis Smith was charged with assisted suicide, assault, and battery of a high aggravated nature, pointing and presenting a firearm, insurance fraud, conspiracy to commit insurance fraud, distribution of methamphetamine, and possession of marijuana. SLED investigators said that he also admitted to being present at the shooting and disposing of the weapon. However, Curtis denied having any idea about this whole hired assisted suicide murder plot. I... uh, Can you believe criminals when they say things are not true? I don't know. So Curtis said that he had been set up to take the fall in this event. Curtis is a distant cousin and former client of Alec, and like I mentioned, his drug dealer. Curtis said that Alec called him that Saturday afternoon and asked him to meet him on the side of Old Salkahatchee Road. He assumed that Alex was having some kind of car trouble, so he drove right over to help him out. Curtis said that Alec was sitting in his Mercedes when he pulled up, and then he jumped out of the car, waving a gun around. Curtis said, quote, I run over and we wrestled a minute together, me trying to get the gun away from him. 
Then the gun kind of went off above his head and I got scared to death and I ran to my truck and took off, end quote. Really quick, if someone was waving a gun around in your direction, why would you run towards them? In the Netflix docuseries, Curtis elaborated that Alec was holding the gun toward himself and Curtis said that he was trying to get the gun away from Alec so that he wouldn't shoot himself. Then the gun went off and he ended up with it and he ran. Again, why would you run away with the gun? It's so confusing to me. This whole situation is just weird and ridiculous. And if I understand correctly, Curtis took the gun and then he disposed of it because he knew his prints were on it and he felt like he had been set up. So he didn't want to be connected to what happened and he didn't want to end up with the weapon. I don't know. The whole thing is ridiculous. Curtis said that he believed that the shooting was a setup so that Alec could shoot himself with Eddie there. So then it would look like Eddie had killed Alec and that they would kind of connect the dots that... Eddie was responsible for Maggie and Paul's deaths. That's kind of the direction it seemed like they were trying to go with it. In the Netflix series, Eddie said, quote, if I'd have shot him, he'd be dead. He's alive, end quote. I mean, fair enough. As they investigated the situation further, it seems like there were lies and different tales being spun back and forth from every angle, but SLED investigators were able to find that Alec had been writing checks to Curtis in small increments under $10,000 that added up to $160,000 between October of 2020 and May of 2021. Curtis deposited one of these checks a few days before Maggie and Paul were killed, and then he deposited another check for $24,000 the day after their murders. Very strange, right? keep that information in your back pocket because it's going to come up again, of course. Alec's attorney said that it was all for drugs. Alec's attorney did their very best to garner sympathy for this man who was struggling with this terrible addiction and had just lost his wife and child in the most tragic and unimaginable way. But as the layers were pulled back, sympathy started to turn to suspicion. In the aftermath of Maggie and Paul's murders, the rumors around town got louder and louder until the media started to take notice more than ever before. Everyone in the country, it seems, was enthralled by this story because it was so out there and ridiculous. In the span of five years, six deaths were linked loosely or very closely to the Murdoch family. Some of them were just rumors, but some of them were 100% factual. But the amount of tragedy linked to this family was getting out of hand. One of these deaths connected to the Murdochs was of a wonderful human being named Gloria Satterfield. Gloria Satterfield worked for Alec Murdoch's family for 20 years, and before that, she worked for Alec's father, Randolph. Gloria started working for Alec's family when Paul was about two years old, and she adored Paul and Buster. Gloria was so much more than just their housekeeper for this family. Many of Paul's friends spoke about how much Paul loved Gloria, saying that she was basically his second mom. Paul's ex-girlfriend Morgan said, quote, For Paul, the love and acceptance came from Miss Gloria. She basically raised Paul. She was with him from the time he was two, end quote. One of Paul's other friends remembers Paul having a photo of Gloria in his wallet, and she was a very important part of Paul's life. She helped to raise him. Gloria also had two sons of her own. She was born and raised in South Carolina, and her obituary says, quote, She was a member of the World Harvest Church in Hampton. She liked tennis, loved kids, and her favorite color was purple. Most of all, she will be remembered for her laughter and her outgoing personality, end quote. Gloria was a very special person to a lot of people. Unfortunately, she passed away at just 57 years old. On February 2nd, 2018, Maggie Murdoch made a 911 call saying that their housekeeper Gloria had tripped over their dogs and fell backwards down the brick stairs in front of their Moselle property. And I have to be totally honest here, I have never heard someone sound quite so irritated on a 911 call 
as Maggie did that day. It was like Maggie had been inconvenienced at trying to make this call instead of worried and concerned for someone who had been in and out of her house pretty much every day for 20 years. On the 911 call, the operator asked Maggie if Gloria was conscious, and she quickly replied, um, no, not really. And then she got really snappy when the 911 operator was trying to help her to help Gloria, and the operator was asking her very reasonable and normal emergency situation questions, and Maggie cuts her off in the call and goes, can you stop asking me so many questions? More information about this incident has come out after the Netflix documentary, so I'm going to go over that now. In the documentary, there's one point where they talk about how Alec told officers that he was there and he saw Gloria get put into the ambulance and that Gloria said to him that she had tripped over the dogs and that's how she fell. But then later, it's discovered that Alec was not home that day. He didn't see her before she got in the ambulance and she was pretty much unconscious the entire time after this incident happened. So how did she tell Alec anything? Also in the documentary, uh, the information included was just that Gloria suffered a few broken ribs and had a brain injury and that she passed away after being unresponsive for a few days after her fall, but it seems like there is a lot more to it than that. Gloria was airlifted to a hospital in Charleston and treated for multiple rib fractures, a pulmonary contusion, which is an injury to the lungs without puncturing the lungs, and a subdural hematoma, which is described as a serious condition where blood collects between the skull and the surface of the brain. She had surgery on her ribs, but the hematoma was inoperable. Uh, Gloria's condition improved after a few days, but it quickly deteriorated. She was put on a ventilator, she got pneumonia, and eventually she had a heart attack. After losing her pulse, the doctors were able to revive her into a coma, and her family had to make the heartbreaking decision to remove life support, and she passed away on February 26, 2018. At some point during her hospital stay, she was in a semi-conscious state and able to talk to her family just a little bit, but she could not remember why or how she fell or what happened or where she was. Gloria's death was a devastating loss to her entire family and to many other people who knew her and loved her. It was ultimately made more heartbreaking thanks to Alec Murdoch and his bullshit. Paul took Gloria's death really hard, and as rumors started swirling that Maggie or Paul had possibly pushed Gloria down the stairs, everyone stood up for Paul and said that there was absolutely no way that he could have hurt her. But on the other hand, people started calling Maggie Maggie murder because everyone was really suspicious of how badly um, Gloria had been injured from a fall down the stairs. And to be fair, these were brick stairs um, where she fell. She fell over backwards and she wouldn't really have been able to catch herself or brace herself if she was already heading in that direction. But on the other hand, it's like the steps aren't that tall and it's hard to imagine anyone getting that hurt falling downstairs. It's all very hard to wrap your head around, but trip and falls down the stairs do happen and they do result in horrible injuries or even death. But the reason that this gossip and speculation became what it was is because Gloria had found something out about the Murdochs earlier that year. At the beginning of 2018, Gloria was cleaning and found bags and bags of prescription medication hidden around Alex's bed. Alex's addiction was a secret from a lot of people, but it wasn't a secret to the people who spent the most time with him. People remember times where Paul would stay home some weekends to take care of Alec while he was going through withdrawals, and it was a battle that his entire family had to face. If I understand correctly, I think they all thought that Alec had stopped taking pills, but then Gloria found this whole stash, and she was afraid to tell Maggie because she feared that she would lose her job and that Maggie would accuse her of snooping around. So Gloria let Paul know about the pills, and I think he confronted Maggie about it 
and then it snowballed from there. I'm, I'm not exactly sure how that played out, but people speculated that maybe Maggie and Gloria had gotten into some kind of an argument that ended with Gloria being pushed down these stairs. Again, it's all speculation. No one knows, and it's not fair to assume that that's what happened when no one who was there is alive to defend their point of view. I don't think Gloria's family believes that there was foul play in her death. It was a very tragic accident, but something that is not speculation is the fact that Alec Murdoch used this situation to steal millions of dollars from Gloria's family. Remember way back in the beginning of part one when I mentioned that Alec specialized in wrongful death and personal injury lawsuits? Well, now we're back to that. When SLED began looking into Alec's extracurriculars at the PMPED law firm, they were able to piece together a paper trail showing exactly how Alec had filed a wrongful death lawsuit on behalf of Gloria's sons, and then he just kept all of that money for himself, and he teamed up with some skis balls to help make it happen. After Gloria's death, Alec reached out to her sons, Brian and Michael Satterfield, to tell them how sorry he was about the death of their mother, and he wanted to do anything he could to help them out. So he suggested that he would help them sue himself for $505,000. And being just ever so helpful, he had his law school bestie, Corey Flemings, represent the Satterfields. Corey Fleming had them hire his buddy, who's a banker, Chad Westendorf, because Corey knew how confusing this all was and how hard it is to navigate. So this little trio teamed up to be so kind as to help the Satterfields and take care of everything. Corey convinced the Satterfields to give him power of attorney and he would handle the rest. Chad and Corey had all legal control in this entire situation, and they basically cut the Satterfields out of it and just said, don't worry about it, we'll take care of it. Corey and Chad filed four settlements that the Satterfields didn't even know were happening with Alec leading the charge. Corey filed petitions asking a judge for access to a partial settlement for $505,000 while reserving the right to pursue, quote, additional insurance coverage that is applicable to this matter, end quote. The judge granted that motion, and that first check was written out to Chad Westendorf because he was their banker and he had power of attorney and because he was supposed to do the right thing and give this money to the Satterfields, but of course, that's not what happened. He deposited $403,000 into an account set up by Alec Murdoch that mimicked a legitimate business called Forge Consulting. This bank account was called Forge. He said the quiet part out loud. Apparently, Forge Consulting actually is a real business that handles lawsuit payouts, but like, pick a different name. I'm sure it's about like Forge the Way or something like that, but it sounds like a scam. Anyways, this account was a way for Alec to funnel money into his own pockets, and I assume that Chad kept that other $100,000 for himself because only four hundred and three dollars was deposited into Alec's bank account. Then after that, the team filed for another settlement, quote unquote, on behalf of the Satterfields for $3.8 million. A judge granted the settlement, and that check went from Chad's hand directly into the Forge account. In all, Alex stole $4.3 million from the Satterfields. Meanwhile, they didn't even know that anything had gone through the court process. They were still waiting to hear from Alec what the next steps would be and dealing with the loss of their mother. In 2020, Corey and Alec filed to dismiss the lawsuit. Also, let's remember that if Alec hadn't suggested this, the Satterfields were probably not going to sue him. It wasn't even on their minds. So that's, they weren't even worried about the money part of it. But then Alec offered to help them do this and they thought it sounded like a great idea. So they went for it and then it just goes off the rails. In 2020, Corey and Alec filed to dismiss this lawsuit, stating that the Satterfields were satisfied with the settlement and were happy with the amount that they'd gotten. Of course, like I said, 
the Satterfields didn't even know the lawsuits happened and didn't see a cent of that payout. Alec then asked the judge to seal this case, given that his family was going through a really tough time after the boating accident. The public was already really judgmental of them, so if they could just quietly settle this and seal the record so no one knew, that would be great. These settlements should be public information, meaning that anyone could see them and then ask the Satterfields about it, who would figure out very quickly that Alec and his little buddies had just screwed them over. This judge agreed to keep it under wraps, and now that everything is out in the open, that judge is also being looked into for her help in the cover-up and possible involvement in this insurance fraud. Luckily, the coroner, Angela Topper, was looking through some of the Hampton County records when she noticed that Gloria Satterfield's death was listed as quote-unquote natural causes, even though it was a trip-and-fall accident that led to her death. She found that there also was never an autopsy performed, and when she realized that this was connected to Alec Murdoch, she wrote a letter to SLED to take a look into it, because things were kind of going a certain way for them. So SLED started to dig into it, and they found out that there was this settlement made, and then they got the FBI involved who uncovered the millions and millions of dollars Alec Murdoch was racking in through his fraud scheming starting from 2015 and ramping up from there, and probably before that as well. Unfortunately, the Satterfields found out about the settlement being made on their behalf through a newspaper article, but fortunately, they were able to hire some lawyers who were actually doing their jobs correctly, unlike Alex Murdoch and his friends. Um, Eric Bland and Ronnie Richter reached out to Alec on the Satterfields' behalf, expecting some kind of a response. Maybe this was all a big misunderstanding, and maybe it would be settled. But when they never got a response back, they decided to file a lawsuit. One of the Satterfield's attorneys described the situation perfectly, saying, quote, Alec Murdoch was not practicing law. Alec Murdoch was practicing stealing money, end quote. Alec was arrested for the insurance fraud shortly after he left rehab in October of 2021. And in the following months, more and more people were interviewed by SLED about Alec's frauds. He had been stealing money from an unending stream of clients who trusted him and many other sources. Alec was indicted on breach of trust, money laundering, computer crimes, and forgery. By March of 2022, Alec was looking at 75 charges of schemes to defraud victims of more than $8,492,000. Corey Fleming was indicted on 23 charges, including money laundering, computer crimes, criminal conspiracy, false statement or misrepresentation in connection with an insurance transaction, and breach of trust. He was accused of defrauding $3.7 million, but Corey claimed that he had no idea that Alec was committing all of these crimes, and he said that he was an unwilling participant in the frauds. The Satterfield's lawyers put out a statement saying that they had come to an agreement with Corey Fleming, saying, quote, Mr. Fleming and his firm agreed that the estate will be paid back all the legal fees and expenses Mr. Fleming and his law firm received from the $4.3 million that they recovered for the estate in connection with the claims asserted against Alec Murdoch for the death of Gloria Satterfield. Mr. Fleming stepped forward and did the right thing by the estate. Mr. Fleming and his law firm maintain they, like others, were victims of Alec Murdoch's fraudulent scheme, end quote. It's all very confusing because from what I understand, Corey Fleming possibly still has open charges against him, and he was facing prison time because of his involvement with Alec and Alec's schemes. I tried to piece it together, but this portion is still ongoing, and there have been court dates as recently as March 2023, um, and I'm posting this video in April of 2023. So there's a lot to it. And again, like I said in the last video, every single person who had any kind of an interaction with Alec was pulled into the web of insanity, knowing or not knowing what they were getting involved with. 
The other person involved in the Satterfield lawsuit was Chad Westendorf, who also claimed that he had no idea what was going on when Alec brought him into the fold to be the banker in this situation. Chad was eventually dropped from the lawsuit after he paid back the $30,000 that he made on this whole thing to the Satterfields. And from what I understand, he genuinely had no idea and he immediately was like, here's your money back. I don't want this. I didn't try to take it, etc. So he's been dropped from the lawsuit, but I don't know if Corey Fleming has. It seems very suspicious. I don't know. Again, it's so confusing and I would really like to believe that no one knew what Alec was doing, but honestly, with this case, who even knows? Alec confessed that all of these charges were true and that he did, in fact, owe the Satterfields $4.3 million. Their case was just the first of many that he was charged with, and the court battle is still ongoing because there are a lot of witnesses and a lot of ins and outs with his other charges. In March of 2023, it was announced that the Satterfields will have Gloria's body exhumed to perform a proper autopsy just to rule out foul play. Their lawyer said that they don't really think that this was a murder, but because Alec has done nothing but lie about literally everything, they just want to take those steps for the peace of mind just to make sure, and I don't blame them. Um, I don't believe there's a date set for when they want to exhume Gloria's body, but that is something that is on the books happening in the future. To end this portion on a little bit of a lighter note, Gloria's family did something really beautiful to honor her memory. They used a portion of their settlement and started the Gloria's Gift Foundation. Gloria's favorite holiday was Christmas, and she was very passionate about giving to others in need. Her family wanted to create this legacy for her and use it as a way to associate Gloria's name with something positive and not just with all of the crap that Alec Murdoch has put them through. So their website says, quote, In Gloria's lasting memory, Gloria's gift will assist families in need in Hampton County to provide a special gift or meal at Christmas to their loved ones. It is our enduring hope and prayer that with each Gloria's gift, the recipient will feel Gloria's love and will likewise be inspired to leave the places they visit and the people they meet better, end quote. I love that her family was able to do that for Gloria. I think it's really important um, that she is remembered for being more than just a piece of this insanity that is the Murdoch family. As everything started unraveling, there was another death that got brought up again that was rumored to be connected to the Murdoch family, and that was the death of Stephen Smith. As I started looking into Stephen's case for this episode, I realized that there was a lot more information than I expected, and there was a more extensive investigation done that I originally believed, so I decided I would cover Stephen's case in a separate episode. That will be in two episodes, so I'll do part three of the Murdoch case, and then I'm going to go into Stephen's case, because I want to give the proper time and attention to detail um, to cover Stephen's case, because it was a tragedy all around. So this will be a short summary of Stephen's case and the connection that it had to the Murdochs, and then I'm going to do a full breakdown in an episode that will be totally separate from the Murdoch family series, um, because Stephen deserves that, and it's, again a cold case that has been reopened, and there's a lot to go over. Stephen Smith was a 19-year-old nursing student who was described as hilarious and friendly. He was very confident in himself, and he never let anyone's opinions slow him down or get in his way. He was extremely smart and brought a lot of joy to everyone that he interacted with. Unfortunately, Stephen was killed on July 8, 2015. He was found lying in the middle of the road with a severe head wound, and the officers who initially looked into this case believed that it was a homicide, However, after the autopsy was performed, the death was listed as a hit and run, and no one thought that this was right, including the people initially investigating the case. Stephen's family was devastated when it seemed that no one was going to dig deeper into Stephen's case and figure out who did this to this wonderful person who was so happy and full of life. From the get-go, multiple people started pointing fingers in the direction of Buster Murdoch. 
Buster and Steven had gone to high school together. Steven was openly gay, and there was a rumor that maybe he and Buster had had some kind of a relationship. The Murdochs have denied any connections to Steven. Something that was pretty odd, though, was the fact that the second person to call Steven's family right after his death was Alex's brother, Randy Murdoch, who, out of the blue, offered to represent the Smith family free of charge. Steven's family said that this was very strange, and they were very surprised that he did that. From what I understand, they didn't have any prior connection to them. He just reached out and offered that, and it was very strange for everyone involved. In the investigation into Steven's death, the Murdochs were mentioned at least 40 times by different witnesses and investigators, but none of the Murdochs were ever interviewed by police. We've heard that before, haven't we? For a long time, it seemed that Steven's case was doomed to go cold forever, but... During the 2021 investigation into Maggie and Paul's murders, SLED put out a statement saying that they were reopening Stephen's case and investigating it as a homicide, quote, based on the information gathered during the course of the double murder investigation, end quote. It's unclear as of right now exactly what that information was. This case is still ongoing, but in March of 2023, Stephen's body was exhumed and a new autopsy was done that was described as a success by investigators. No further information has come out about exactly what that means yet, but they expressed that they are pleased with what they found, and it is going to help this case move forward. Like I said, I'm going to go into as much detail as possible in an episode specifically about Stephen, which will be out in a couple of weeks. Stephen's mom, Sandy, has been fighting for her son since the day he died. She said, quote, We've been waiting on this forever. Stephen's always been put on the back burner. It's like nobody's looking for answers. Stephen's had no justice, end quote. As far as the rumors that Buster was somehow connected to this, he denies knowing anything at all or being involved in it whatsoever. He put out a statement through his attorney that said, quote, I have tried my best to ignore the vicious rumors about my involvement in Stephen Smith's tragic death that continue to be published in the media as I grieve over the brutal murders of my mother and brother. This has gone on far too long. These baseless rumors of my involvement with Stephen and his death are false. I unequivocally deny any involvement in his death and my heart goes out to the Smith family, end quote. And I know I keep saying this in this episode, but to be fair, innocent until proven guilty is a thing. And whoever is responsible for Stephen's death needs to go to prison. Rumors might just be rumors, but the investigation has to dig in every possible lead. And if those leads go straight toward the Murdoch family and no one bothered to look into it before, then it is what it is. But I do think it's important not to let speculation turn into fact in our brains until we have 100% proof. And that is not me making excuse for any of the shit that Alex Murdoch has done or anyone in his family has done. That's no longer an opinion. That guy's a monster. But if Buster genuinely had nothing to do with Stephen's death and he's being thrown into it, that's really awful and really unfair. But if he did do it or had something to do with it, then we will know sooner than later and everything will be taken care of. I really believe that that case is going to be solved and we will see where it goes whatever information they found that made them reopen this case was connected to stuff that they found during the investigation into maggie and paul's deaths so it can only go so many directions you know what i mean so far it looks like finally this investigation is going very well and clearly it's going in the right direction this time Sandy Smith hired the same lawyers that the Satterfields worked with, Eric Bland and Ronnie Richter, who just seem like lovely human beings who have their hearts in the right place and their heads on straight from what I've seen. Eric Bland said in a press release, quote, we have a chance to right eight years of wrongs and we intend to do just that, end quote. Oh man, it was so difficult for me to sum up Stephen's case that quickly. There are so many details that I want to talk about and to go over, but again, his story deserves its own moment away from the craziness of the Murdoch trials. So that's as far as I'm going to go in this episode. So back to 
Alec and all of his awfulness. He was arrested for those 40-something fraud charges and sitting in jail until a court hearing where his lawyers proposed a bond of $200,000 under the conditions that he would wear a GPS tracker and surrender all of his firearms. Judge Clifton Newman called Alex a danger to himself and others and denied the bond request stating, quote-unquote, safety issues as the reasoning. Judge Clifton said that Alec would need to undergo a psych evaluation before he would even consider setting bail after the financial schemes and the assisted suicide plot. When Alec was denied bond, everyone was shocked. It was abundantly clear that whatever special treatment the Murdoch family had gotten in the past to swerve out of any legal trouble was gone. And he was going to have to go through the justice system just like any other regular person. The Satterfield's attorneys were satisfied with the bond being denied and Eric Bland said, quote, Today is the day that Alec Murdoch needs to get comfortable getting uncomfortable. This is a crime of a lawyer stealing money. A man who stole money from the very family of his housekeeper that helped raise his kids. This is a crime that we've never seen before. He stole, he's a liar, and he's a cheat. End quote. I told you, everything I read about Eric Bland, I just, I like him. He seems like a really great guy. Big fan. Alex's lawyer, Jim Griffin, argued that before his opioid addiction, he was a law-abiding family man. Quote, The Alex Murdoch, who is not hooked on drugs, has lived a good, fruitful life, a law-abiding life. Only when he got hooked on opioids did things turn south, and he truly regrets his conduct. End quote. That might be true, but the millions of dollars he stole and the countless lives he ruined and impacted because of that, he needs to see justice. So, at this time, Alec was being charged with the frauds, money laundering, and the whole mess of things I talked about earlier. This was before they started looking at him as an actual suspect of Maggie and Paul's murders. So, during the first round of charges, he was looking at 10 years in prison for each charge of obtaining property by false pretenses. And other felony charges associated with the supposed botched suicide attempt could land him another 20 years in prison. So that's what, like 50 years in prison just for those things? There was evidence that Buster and Alex's brother, John Marvin, were gambling in Vegas while Alex sat in jail. And they allegedly were selling off assets for hundreds of thousands of dollars. This is a major issue because allegedly, if that's what they were doing, it looked like they could possibly be trying to hide money in different places and move the money around so that it looked like... Alec had less money than he actually did. Three separate civil suits were then filed by some of the boat crash survivors and the Satterfields. They wanted these lawsuits filed to stop the Murdochs from disposing of their assets. One filing said, quote, Alec Murdoch has engaged in repeated dishonesty, deception, and fraud. He has shown that he will go to extraordinary lengths to misappropriate, steal, transfer, or otherwise dispose of money in a manner that benefits him or his family with complete disregard for the interests of third persons, end quote. Yeah, I agree. A South Carolina circuit judge, Daniel Hall, seemed to also agree with that statement and froze all of Alec's assets. Judge Hall also ordered that there would be an inventory taken of all of his assets performed by a third party with no connection to the Murdoch family so they couldn't do anything sneaky. So after the first bond hearing where the judge denied the bond, Alec's legal team appealed the bond to the state level. Basically, it was kind of like dad said no, so they went and asked mom, and we all know how that goes. Eventually, they came back and said, sure. Sounds great. You can totally postpone, do your house arrest, and be subject to random drug testing and go to counseling for $7 million. Circuit Judge Allison Renee Lee was the final say on that $7 million bond. The prosecution first suggested $6.2 million, which was the amount that Alec had been um, accused of stealing through his schemes up to that point. And then they floated a lesser amount of $4.7, which was about $100,000 for each count he was being charged with. But Judge Lee was like, no, let's round it out with a nice $7 million. 
she obviously probably said it a lot more eloquently than that, but you get the idea. Alec's team tried to fight for a maximum of $200,000, saying that Alec didn't have the $7 million. He didn't even have $700,000. He was completely broke. Alec had been in jail for about three months at that time, and according to him, it was the first time in nearly two decades where he was off opioids. He said, quote, My head is on straighter. I'm thinking clearer than I have in a long, long time. I want to deal with these charges appropriately and head on. I want to repair as much of the damage that I've done as I can. I want to repair as many of the relationships as I can. End quote. So this is tough. And here's where I'm going to have like this much sympathy. It's a tiny little ounce of sympathy. Because drug addiction is a serious illness. And there is no telling what someone will do to get the drugs that their body has become so desperately dependent on. And for that, again, I have like the tiniest bit of sympathy. That sympathy leaves my body when we get to the point where we are like looking at $7 million and beyond. There is absolutely no way that that money was mostly being used to buy drugs, like his attorneys tried to claim. They tried to say that all of that money was mostly going to drugs over the past few years. That money had to be going to other places, okay? It just had to be, in my opinion. And even if it was being used to buy drugs and to feed that addiction, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, stealing is stealing, whatever the reason. It's not an excuse to just be like, oh, oopsies, I made a mistake. Just let me out of jail. Like, I'm going to do better. Too late, dude. You had a chance to do better $7 million ago, okay? So dealing with the charges, quote unquote, appropriately and head on, to use his words, means that you will serve your time and you will pay back every single cent and stop trying to snake out of it and stop trying to get lesser sentencing. The end. However, this wasn't just fraud and money laundering and stealing. There was also the double homicide that we still need to get into. We'll get to it. So Alec was slapped with that $7 million bond option. He obviously couldn't pay it. His lawyers tried to argue over and over to lawyer the amount, but the judge wouldn't move on that, so he had to stay in jail like everybody else that can't post bail. On January 21st, 2022, Alec was given another 23 fraud charges, bringing the total up to 74 charges at that point. One charge was based on an alleged scheme to defraud victims of 583000 in 2011. Another charge was for defrauding another 350000 in 2009. The third was for another 398000 and another for $1,325,000. This brought his total stolen amount to close to $8.9 million in stolen money. And it didn't stop there. There was still more on top of that that they uncovered. A week after those new charges were added... Mallory Beach's mom, Renee, and then her two friends, Morgan and Miley, all joined up to file a lawsuit against Alec for $65 million to be split uh, between them. This was a way for them to get control over some of the Murdoch assets. I guess Alec was set to inherit a bunch of properties from Maggie's family when she died, and Alec was the sole beneficiary for Maggie and Paul's property. If I understand correctly, Paul would have inherited certain assets from Maggie, and then those would go to Alec because of Paul's death. This lawsuit was put into motion when John Marvin Murdoch petitioned to have the assets unfrozen so that he could start making sales. Mark Tinsley, Renee's attorney, didn't want to see them sell this property and then liquidate their assets, so they launched this lawsuit to keep that from happening. Again, based on what I've read, that would be a really easy way for them to keep up this whole Alec has zero dollars to his name kind of a story. Versus if you can keep track of how many properties he actually has, you can keep up track of how much money he's actually worth. Just because he doesn't have that amount in his bank account doesn't mean that he doesn't have $20 million in assets. From what I understand, I'm not a rich person, so I don't know how that works, but that's what I gathered. John Marvin's attorney said that that was not the case, that was not what they were trying to do, and that John Marvin saw this as a smart time to sell because it was a 
seller's market so that they could make the money from the Moselle property and give it to the correct parties. And he was apparently being very cooperative with the court in these dealings. But they did not unfreeze those assets as far as I know. So these added lawsuits put Alex's total charges at 83. But of course, it doesn't stop there. In June of 2022, Curtis Smith, the gunman linked to Alex's assisted suicide plot, was arrested again. Then, Curtis and Alec were accused of running a years-long money laundering scheme. They were charged with criminal conspiracy and possessing, manufacturing, or distributing narcotics for an alleged scheme involving oxycodone. Curtis Smith said that between October 7, 2013 and February 28, 2021, Alec wrote at least 437 checks to Curtis for a total of $2.4 million that Curtis either cashed or deposited at various banks throughout the county. Allegedly, this money was used to illegally obtain and distribute opioids. Allegedly, this money was used to illegally obtain and distribute opioids. It all comes back, doesn't it? The checks were in increments of $10,000 or less to keep them from looking too suspicious. Alec was accused of writing the checks out to different forms of Curtis's name or writing the checks to people close to Curtis. Then Curtis would forge their signatures without them knowing, including his own daughter and girlfriend. Listen... I've seen Ozark. I know how this works, okay? So the whole, Alec was using the money to buy himself drugs. He couldn't stop stealing millions of dollars to buy his own drugs for his drug addiction. No, it was a money laundering scheme and they were selling and distributing opioids. Ding, ding, ding. There it is. So that defense is obviously out the window. So when it was all said and done, over 19 indictments, Alec was charged with 99 counts ranging from tax evasion, money laundering, computer crimes, forgery, fraud, and just about everything in between. And that's just the stuff they've been able to uncover and, and charge him with. I'm sure there is much, much more. With all of those charges, Alec would spend the rest of his life in prison. The total time he could be convicted of would be around 1,000 years. I love it when they break it down like that in these situations instead of just saying life in prison because it's multiple years for each count that adds up to about 1,000 years for all of the different things he would be charged with. The Supreme Court of South Carolina also disbarred Alec and banned him from practicing law, which is good. Attorney Ronnie Richard said, quote, All Ponzi schemes end the same way. Sooner or later, it's like musical chairs. The music stops and someone is without a chair. And that's exactly what happened with Alec. The music stopped, he ran out of places to get money, and all of his financial crimes were exposed. End quote. Seriously. Ronnie Richter and Eric Bland just keep knocking it out of the park with these quotes. I hope that they're wonderful people because it seems like they are and they're great lawyers doing the right thing. While they were going through all of the court process with these 99 different charges, Alex was charged with the murders of Maggie and Paul on July 14th, 2022. His attorneys put out a statement saying that he loved his wife and son more than anything in the world and they said that he had nothing to do with their murders. His lawyer said, quote, it was very clear from day one that law enforcement and the attorney general prematurely concluded that Alec was responsible for the murder of his wife and son, but we know that Alec did not have any motive whatsoever to murder them, end quote. Okay, first of all, they didn't go after Alec day one, or he would have been arrested back when it happened. They looked into plenty of other people who had to go through DNA testing and background checks and alibis and all of the things. Second of all, what do you mean he had no motive? The chief of SLED, Mark Keel, said, quote, Over the last 13 months, SLED agents and our partners have worked day in and day out to build a case against the person responsible for the murders of Maggie and Paul and to exclude those who were not. At no point did agents lose focus on this investigation. From the beginning, I have been clear. The priority was to ensure justice was served. Today is one more step in a long process for justice for Maggie and Paul, end quote. 
Next episode will be the third and final part of the Murdoch saga. That episode will be all of the details of the court proceedings, evidence, etc. that led to Alec's eventual conviction. Everything in his other 100 charges was put on hold for the murder trial, so we'll wrap up those details as much as we can in the next episode as well, uh, because again, it's still ongoing. Thank you for sticking with me through this very long episode of this three-part series. I hope that you learned something new that maybe you didn't know about this case before. Um, And then we will continue to do all of the updates that have happened since that Netflix documentary came out, because obviously there has been a lot that has transpired. So thank you for being here. Make sure that you subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your audio podcasts so that you don't miss part three. And I will talk to you soon. Bye.